Finding your way to a balanced way of living is the key to health and happiness. Each week on Choosing the Balanced Life with Diabetes, you'll hear tips and tools for a happier and healthier life. Here's your host, Anita Westlake. With the U.S. in the midst of an uh, obesity epidemic, the media is full of stories about uh, diets and exercise and how to keep ourselves slim. And the thing that we hear the most is how bad fat is for us. And to pick up where we've left off is my returning guest, Dr. Art Caparell, to talk about fat. And is it important? Do we really need it in our diets? Hi, Art. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Anita. Thanks for having me back. Well, today we're going to discuss fat, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And is it really important in our diets? And that's my first question. Is it important in our diets? Yes, uh, it, it's extremely important in our diet. However, the quality of, of what you're eating is also extremely important. So um, I have a couple of generalized theories on this, and I don't know, I, I don't have any way to prove it. It's just thoughts that I toss around in my head every once in a while. And, um, a lot of the American public, I, you know, I live in America, a lot of the American public, they eat a lot of fry, deep fried food. And so if you're looking at pulling those type of fats out of somebody's diet, that's going to be a positive thing because those actually cause a lot of damage to the body um, at a cellular level. However, um, if you look at the anatomy of the body, the brain is 60% fat. And so the body needs good, real fats as they occur in nature to have a healthy system. Um, the, there's parts of the cell that have fat in them. There, there's fat throughout the body. The, the heart is actually a fat burning muscle. And so we, it needs a certain amount of fat to be able to function properly. And, you know, now again, this is the way I was taught in my nutrition courses. I don't have, I don't have a medical degree. I have a, a chiropractic degree. And so I look at the body a little differently than than a medical doctor is going to look at. I'm trying to look at function and creating normal function. And so uh, it's critical that we eat good, wholesome fats on a daily basis. Uh, you know, and I'm sure we'll touch a lot on what are good fats and what are bad fats, you know, along the course of this interview. So, Well, I feel that um, fat has really gotten a bad rap, and there's a, so much talk about it. A lot of people get lost and the confusion, you know, whether it's a good fat or bad fat, instead it's just easier to cut it all out, and lean is best, and that goes along with our weight. In fact, a lot of us, I think, have envy, or a lot of people have envy for those that are very thin, because, again, it's this whole uh, mindset about being so very lean, and recently um, in the news it's been said that a lot of these countries that are very fashion um it, they're they're very fashion based, such as Spain, Italy, Israel, France. A lot of them are now trying to implement regulations and laws when it comes to hiring underweight models. And 
These people really suffer uh, from health conditions. A body mass, a BMI under 18, suffers very much so when it comes to health as somebody that is uh, obese. And these countries have taken it so seriously, such as France, who just recently passed a bill that is looking at actually um, implementing jail time and hefty fines for companies and casting agencies knowingly hiring models with a BMI under 18. So we seem to be pendulum, there's a pendulum happening here. There's this envy of being very, very lean. And we're dealing with um, epidemic of obesity. And I think a lot of it's just confusion on diet. And a, a great amount of confusion is about fat. So what fats, we've just, you've just stated um, so well that the fried foods are not a good thing. That's a bad fat when you're frying your foods. What's a healthy fat? Yeah, I mean, there, there's, you know, like, uh, and the problem is, is most of the oils, uh, you can actually go online and look at the, uh, when you fry specific types of oils, what happens to them? Um, and there's, there's some oils that are made for like low heat. There's some oils that are made for medium heat. And there's some oils that actually function well on high heat. Um, and, you know, coconut oil works really well if you have to saute something. Um, you, you can get unflavored coconut oil and it's not gonna, it's not gonna have that, that effect of, I'm just gonna say breakdown that can cause it to go bad and it's gonna have less of a bad effect on the body. However, if you, if you fry something in that every meal every day or once a day, that's still too much. And so, um, Oils and fats, if you could get them as close to the raw state as possible and un unprocessed, it's going to be important. Um, do, do you want me to get into how you can tell it? You know, oh, please. The, the, I'm, I'm a little confused okay. already about the process. Okay. I just look at the oil. So, it's olive oil. I hear it's right. good. So, <laughs> sure. And so, you know, you can look at olive oil and they have light olive oil and they have all these different types of olive oil. So. Um, a, an oil should have a, a color or a, a tinge to it. Like, you know, like if you look at really good olive oil, it's got almost that greenish, a slight greenish tinge to it. Um, and it's, it may even have some, some sediment or some particles in it. Uh, if you look at corn oil or any of those highly refined vegetable oils, they're going to be almost clear and colorless. And so the more colorless that they are, or the more clear that they are, the more highly refined that, that they're going to be. And so if you can get um, olive oil that's first cold pressed, um, and you can, I think I gave you a salad dressing recipe, you can make salad dressing with that. Uh, you know, you can use it in many, many different types of foods. Um, sesame oil. You know, again, as long as it's unprocessed or un unrefined. Um, I've even heard, uh, uh, we bought some avocado oil recently and I haven't tried it yet. Um, there's a lot of different types of oils out there that are going to be very good for you. And the problem that most people see is that they're more expensive and people have a hard time paying extra money for something that they think they can buy cheaper. Well, you get what you pay for. Um, and if you're going to buy an oil that's highly refined and, um, and it's maybe a half the price, it's not worth 
the money that you're saving because it's, it's not providing you any nutritional benefit and it's actually causing, um, you know, damage to your body over time. So what do you mean by refined, though? Well, what is the problem with refined? I, I know we shouldn't be eating refined foods, but I really don't understand what that means when it comes to oil. Well, they they process it to um, to either make it clear. You know, again, I, I don't have a lot of background in how they do this. I just know that um, it's it's processed or refined. And so they, you know, everybody's heard of Expeller Press. Um, you know, I'm sure people have heard of that, how they make specific oils and specific type of things. Well, what happens is the process of doing expeller pressing creates a lot of heat and heat starts to break down the oil. And so if we're looking at trying to get an oil in as close to its natural state as possible, anything that raises the temperature of that past a certain degree We'll, we'll start the process of that being, being processed or refined. And so that's why I always say if you find third, first cold pressed because it's, it's pressed under a room temperature. And so therefore it's not going to have any of that processing that, that actually occurs in, uh, when it's heated to a certain, a certain temperature. So it keeps more, uh, more of its nutritional value. That plus it it doesn't start to change the the composition of the oil. I mean, um, I can just give an anecdotal story. Years ago, you know, again, I I mentioned in some of the previous episodes about how the about how all the original nutritional pioneers were dentists, and so they had found that the black currant seed oil. It works really, really well for certain health health problems, as long as it's in its its um, unadulterated state. And so, somebody, some pharmaceutical company, I believe, took up this cause and did research to find out how the black currant seed oil would would fare on on, on people's health. And what they found is that the black currant seed oil that they used actually caused cancer in the digestive tracts of the anim- of the mice that, that they were performing it on. But what they didn't understand is they were using old, rancid black currant seed oil. And so it wasn't fresh oil. It was old and rancid. And therefore, it lost its ability to be a functional food. And so, as I told you, I think, before, if you buy olive oil, you even have to buy olive oil in small enough containers to where you use it before it goes rancid. Because if you use oil, even if it's fresh and um, and and raw and good for you, if you let it, as soon as you expose it to air, it starts to oxidize and starts to go bad. And so the longer the oil sits and is exposed to air, the worse it is for you. And so if you have olive oil that's been in there for four months, um, that's been opened, then that, that's not a good thing. And so make sure that you're always using fresh oil. And it's going to be, again, it's going to be a little more expensive to buy uh, smaller containers, but then you're using them in, a, in, a, in an adequate amount of time, and, and you're always making sure that you're getting fresh oil as opposed to uh, rancid oil. 
So really the quality overall, not just in the type, but in the age to make sure that it hasn't gone past expiration dates. And I often wondered why I would see one because I didn't associate with oil going bad, to be honest with you. But it really is important to pay attention to an expiration date on an oil. You know, well, yeah, if you, if you look at food in general, I mean, any, any natural food, and I'm, I'm saying natural meaning comes out of the ground or comes from something in nature. Um, it, it has a shelf life. And so, uh, in, you know, again, I'll use olive oil. Olives in their, their state on a tree, they're actually not even edible and they have to go through a, a process of brining and, you know, other things to be able to make them edible. Well, when you get the oil from that, it's, it's taken out of its protective shell. Just like if you have an apple, an apple is going to be fine with with its skin around it because it's not exposed to the oxygen. But as soon as you cut the apple in half, within five to ten minutes, it can start to go brown sometimes. And so that's the oxidation starting to occur, to occur on on that part of the apple that's not supposed to be exposed to oxygen. And so oil is no different because it, it, it's a food that actually occurs from nature. Now, if it's a processed oil, it's already been changed, and so it's not going to go rancid because it's already bad. You see what I'm saying? Just like if you overprocess wheat, you know, wheat is, is another typical example. If you take a whole wheat and grind it with all its components, it has a, a shelf life of about seven days. Because the the bran that holds all the B vitamins starts to go rancid and bad because that's part of the fat of that that organism. And so uh, when you grind your own wheat, you have to use it in a very short period of time because it goes bad. Now, if you take the bran off, which is what you're buying in the grocery store, then there's none of that in the actual food, so it has a shelf life of one, two, three years. That's, that's the difference. So any processing is going to make its shelf life increase, and that's not what we want to have. We want to have the natural state. Absolutely. Uh, this, uh, my mind was just going all over the place as you were saying this, and I'm envisioning my grandmother. She used to save oil. She used to save oil in a container um, and put it under the sink. And then reuse it. And I'm assuming this came from, um, you know, wartime or when she was young. My grandmother's still with me, by the way. She's 97 years old. And she would store this fat in a glass jar and keep it under the sink. And then she would use it now and again. It's not sounding like the healthiest thing to do. No, Mind you, she but, didn't eat a lot of those foods. Was it, you know, was it, <clears throat> you know, was it bacon fat? She did this with bacon fat, uh, I would say, the most. And so I guess yeah. that was more grease, bacon, wasn't it? Yeah, and you know, bacon fat is, is not going to have that that same type of issue that, say, a vegetable oil is going to have. And so, will it last longer? Yes, I, I mean, you know, I've heard many, many stories of people doing that, and you know, people just thought, you know, a lot of people don't do bacon anymore, and so uh, that's. You know, I, I say bacon fat and uh, I use it for certain things. I don't use a lot of it, you know, but, um, I, 
that's the exception to the rule. Now, you know, I wouldn't save it for five months, you know, but, you know, I would save it for maybe a week or two here or there if I'm going to be using something, you know, with it. Um, but that's the only exception to the rule. That and, you know, butter too, but butter can also, you know, butter also has a shelf life. You know, I'm sure we'll get into butter as well. So. Well, there's all kinds of fats that, you know, we can get into. And some of them I feel like they cross over, as you just mentioned, butter into dairy. And so they, right. you know, there's that whole confusion, as I said, around just bad fat, good fat, the good, the bad, the ugly. What about, um, and now we've talked about oils and they should, you know, you should pay attention to a shelf life and buy good quality oils. But there's a lot of confusion around heat and oils. So to keep it simple, is it not better just to ask or look up? I know when I buy uh, oil, I will ask someone, what about heat? Can I bake with this? Or if I'm baking and I don't bake as much now that I'm not uh, doing any wheat and dairy. But when it comes to these things, can I use this oil in this way? And usually they're quite informative. If you go somewhere and you're buying a good quality oil, usually it's a, the shop is a little smaller and there's people on hand that will tell you more about it. I find that a lot of the larger chains, although they're starting to go that way, don't have a lot of these uh, natural or raw forms of oil. Sure. Because it really does matter, yeah. does it not, or am I wrong, uh, when it comes to the type of oils no, it, and heat? It, it definitely matters. And, I mean, we like if, if a recipe adds one specific oil to it, um, it depends on, you know, the type of recipe. Uh, sometimes I'll even use, uh, you know, coconut. The, the, the coconut cream, you know, you can buy in a can. Um, that has a lot of good fat in it. And, um, as long as it's, it's a good, a good solid company that doesn't add a lot of, uh, chemicals to it, if it's just coconut pulp, you know, or coconut and, you know, some, some water and some coconut, uh, juice, uh, it should be okay. I mean, I, I use that a lot. Um, I'll use sometimes all, you know, olive oil, but again, you have to look at what you're making and what you want the, the taste to be. Sometimes I'll just use uh, melted butter. Um, I actually had a patient years ago ask me, well, why is it that I can have butter, but I can't have milk? And I thought about it for a couple of minutes. And I said, you know, well, milk has a lot of casein or milk protein in it. And butter is very low in, in milk protein. Now, if you've got a sensitivity to milk protein, even butter could be an issue. And, you know, that's where we talked about clarified butter or ghee. You know, that's, that's just the fat portion of that. And that may be what some people have to do. But butter is a, it's been around for thousands of years. I mean, that's the way I look at food. I look at what's been around for a long time that people used to eat before they had the ability to process foods. And that's what I try to eat because those are the foods that have been around for a long time and the, and, and the body's able to use those things. Does that make sense to you? It does. Make, so it makes sense, especially when it comes to the butter, um, as in the protein, the, as you said, the the taking that protein out of it when you clarify it. And that's why some people may be able to have butter but not milk. That really, mm -hmm. I understood that. And the fact that butter has been around for so very long, uh, a natural food. So it's looking at the source of the butter, I would imagine. 
how we're using the butter, the types and amount of the butter that can make right. it bad or good. Yeah, so 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 now let's shift over to margarine, right? Because a lot of and growing up, my mom again, she didn't have a science background. She only got what she read out of the newspaper, and she was reading articles about how that was bad for you in the seventies, in the eighties, and so she shifted over to margarine because everybody thought it was better. Um, when in fact, it's far worse. Uh, I mentioned in one of the other previous episodes about uh, hydrogenated oils and trans fats and um, hydrogenated oil, uh, it takes the body far longer to get rid of that type of an oil than it does a natural food because it uses it as a food. And so um, margarine, a lot of people use it because it, because it doesn't burn. But using it because it doesn't burn... Um, that's one benefit, but the 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 lack of health benefits far outweigh that ability to not let it burn. And so what I recommend is if you want to do that, just do it at a lower temperature. It may take a little longer. And again, that's one of the things I see with cooking. Um, people are always in a hurry, and they don't want to take their time. And so realize that you can do things a little slower and actually get more benefit out of it. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, you know, you don't have to use a margarine that's, that's not going to sear or, or fry or burn at a really high heat. Um, there's many, many other ways to actually do it. And just taking your time is, is going to be a big step in the right direction for that. So is that the big thing with margarine is the fact that um, the heat process when using it, it's okay if you use it as a lower heat, or is margarine just not a wise choice at all? So what if you're just using no, mar- margarine, margarine on bread? Yeah, margarine is just not a wide choice. Again, it's a man-made product. And every time man thinks in their infinite wisdom that they're better than um, the way it's been in nature for thousands of years, there, there's a problem there. Because man only has so many... They're, they're only looking at a picture in so many ways. They don't even know how many of the things in the body still work or why certain things happen. And so look at the way it was created in nature. And that's the best, healthiest way to always eat. Um, I mean, I look at things that, you know, man try, or man or, you know, I'm, I'm saying man and, and woman, you know, people try to create to take the place of a food that they were eating always a bad thing so artificial is not a good thing well that comes down to all kinds of things doesn't it sweeteners we could go on and on about these artificial processed foods yeah yeah um even these cheese slices uh for what i understand they're not even cheese right you You know babita cheese and you know we used to you know we used to eat babita cheese as kids because again my mom thought it was a good thing but it's it's just not (laughs) it tastes good for the kids but it's it's not a good thing. I don't so, even know that it's cheese. It. Yeah, it's not. If it starts to melt, it turns into this greasy glob thing. And we used to look at that as a treat, so that's kind of scary unto itself. But people didn't Absolutely. know as much. Uh, I didn't eat sure. as much of it because I was on a special uh, diet in those days. Obviously, it was cured for diabetes. But, and my way of thinking now is that was probably a good thing to some extent because I, I couldn't overdo anything right. like that. 
So some of this stuff isn't even the food category that we think it is. So if you take Velveeta cheese, no, uh, you're thinking it's cheese. It's not cheese. It's it's really a fat. Of course. Of course. So some of these things get very confusing. And, and I know, you know, good fat from bad fat people sometimes will just even just look at a, a label and say, wow, that has 28% fat. I can't have it or shouldn't have it. I'm trying to watch my weight. I have, uh, you know, right. diabetes and I should be having it. But rather than doing that, we should possibly look at the source of fat. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as I said last time, when we, you know, one of the times before when we were talking about blood sugar is one of the reasons that people fail with their diet, especially if they're trying to lose weight, is that they, they think that the fat is bad, all fat. And so they, they cut all fat out of their diet. And then what happens is they get these blood sugar spikes and they get these cravings. And so having those good fats to maintain that blood sugar for a long enough period of time to your next meal is going to be important. Now, again, if you're eating a, a fake fat or a fake butter, fake butter, sorry, uh, margarine, or, or a deep fried meal, that's... That's going to sustain your blood sugar, but that's the wrong kind of fat, and that's going to create the problem. So you have to have good, solid fat. And, you know, again, I used this example a while ago, and and it, it's just what I do for our family. You know, I have a wife and a, and a 12-year-old son, and we go through probably four, four to five pounds of butter a week. Wow, that's a lot of butter. Whew. Yeah. And, and I'm, um, I'm 5'11", 155. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, so you're I slim. expect my patient. Yeah, I, I eat the way that I expect my patients to eat. And so, um, and again, I've had many, many patients with high cholesterol issues and high blood pressure issues and maybe 40 pounds overweight. And I, created a diet plan for them uh, that was a more of a generalized plan. And many, many times their, their cholesterol starts to drop, their blood pressure starts to drop down, and their blood sugar starts to normalize out, and they, they start to lose excess weight, which is not muscle mass, it's actual body fat, which, you know, again, we talked about weight loss a long time ago, but Anything more than one to two pounds a month is not a good thing. So one to two pounds a month is means that you're actually just losing fat and nothing else. And that's the important thing to remember. So you don't think it's possible to lose slightly more than that and have it be fat also? It, well, again, I'm talking about the average patient that, that comes in to me um, has multiple health issues. And so uh, anything that's going to be too extreme as far as weight loss can kind of tip a balance for them, um, maybe some fatigue, something else. And so for the average person that's basically healthy and is able to exercise a lot and able to eat the right way, sure, they could do more than that. But um, the reason I use that number is because some, some people get frustrated if they're only losing one to two pounds a month. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. 
It just means that that's what's working for you. And so don't get discouraged with yourself if it's not, you know, three times a week like like other people are. Because that, that's not healthy. You know, you know, 12, 14 pounds a month isn't a good thing for most people. Um, so, and we're just know, talking weight, though. We're not shifting fat and muscle, which is a whole other topic. No, I'm just, so, talking, I'm just talking weight. And so then I'm assured if they're eating the right diet, if their digestive system is functioning properly, if their blood sugar is functioning properly, then I know that they're only and and they're exercising. Sorry. Um, then I know that they're they're losing fat and not just weight for the sake of weight. You know, meaning uh, muscle mass as well. Because I really think that's something we obsess on is the the number on the scale, and we really obsess on fat. And I see all the time low fat, low fat, low fat. Sometimes it's the, stating the obvious. Um, you know, I've seen bottles of water with low in sugar, no sugar. They're advertising that it has no sugar. Well, to me, that's common sense, although they, you know, maybe they're stating they're not adding anything to the water um, where it has right. sugar in it. But we, so we see this all the time, low fat. People gravitate towards it because it's low fat. But it may not be the wisest choice because there could be some other things in there that are worse than having the fat. So we really have to include fats Absolutely. in the diet. Now, talking about Absolutely. blood sugars, and, and you had mentioned this about maintaining a blood sugar. So I learned this early on um, from day one, actually, at being diagnosed, how important it was to have some fats in our diets to do with our blood sugar. They didn't really tell us about health, meaning, you know, good from bad as it would affect our health, but we focused everything was about managing our sugars. And so having a good blood sugar and having some fat with our meal and making sure blood sugars were good would carry that on, as you said, to the next meal and help stabilize us not to go have a spike and not to go low, but rather maintain a good blood sugar. Any theories on why that's so? Why, why, why a good fat would help us maintain a decent blood sugar? Sure. Um, it's a, a good fat, you know, a, a fat in general will do this, but a good fat, uh, it, it's a, what I call a long, slow-burning fuel. So remember we talked about blood sugar spikes in the past. And so when you eat a good fat, what happens is instead of it being a spike like a, a point at the end, it ends up becoming a round curve. And so it doesn't create as much of an insulin response, so the blood sugar starts to go up, and then it rounds off and slowly comes down instead of going up at a 45-degree angle, say, and then spiking at a pinpoint and then dropping down at a 45-degree angle. So it ends up being more like a, a half circle. And so you're going to get a lot longer uh, use out of the blood sugar that is that is in your body at that time. Um, plus, uh, it's going to keep you feeling more full. And so one of the things is people say, you know, I never feel full. Well, it's because you haven't satiated yourself. And you have to have some fat to be able to do that now. You also have to look at, is your body able to process that fat properly? Do you have a gallbladder that's not functioning correctly because of the years of eating that fat? And so there's ways you can clean that up and make that function properly. However, 
it's much more difficult for the diabetic to do that because, um, you know, I found that beets are one of the best ways to to get the gallbladder to function properly, but the problem is is they can really affect people's blood sugar. And so um, knowing, you know, again, how, how, how you always operate, know what works for you and don't be afraid to test those sugars and test to see where you are. Um, don't walk around what I like to call as, you know, people being asleep. Um, try to have awareness about everything that you put in the body and how it affects you. For somebody that's diabetic, they have to be specifically careful on how things affect their blood sugar because you'll be surprised at what affects it and what doesn't. Um, I, you know, you and I have discussed this, but I'm of the firm belief that anything can cause anything. <laughs> I've seen too many strange things happen and too many strange things correct health problems in the body that uh, I, I, I thoroughly believe that anything can cause anything. And so even if you have to create a, a list, and I, I do this for a lot of my patients, I have them have a little notebook and I have them write down specific foods and then if they're able to chart their blood sugars, then great. If they're able to chart their blood pressure, then great. But even if they're just seeing how they feel after eating those specific foods, there was actually a uh, doctor years ago, uh, he, he, de- it, he developed something called the, the Coca Pulse Test, and I'll see if I can get a copy for you, um, where he would test specific foods, and he would have the person put the food in their mouth and chew it, and then he would have them take their pulse. And he would start with a baseline pulse before the patient ate. And then he would add a food into their mouth and chew it and see what happened to the pulse. Because anything that the, that the body was uh, reacting in a negative way to would increase the pulse. And so he could determine specific food sensitivities by that means. Now that takes a good amount of, that's going to take you a good half an hour to 45 minutes to check some of these foods. But um, it's very, very accurate. And so, again, that's another way to create awareness around what you're eating. How does it, how does it increase your pulse? How does it increase your or, or decrease your blood sugar, your blood pressure? But also, how do you feel? I mean, do you get a little more anxious you know, when you eat a certain food? Do you get a little more tired when you eat a certain food? Those are all telltale signs that there's something going on with that food that you're eating because I believe that when you eat food, it should give you energy. That's one of the purposes of it is to give you energy. It shouldn't make you, like after a holiday, you eat a big meal. It shouldn't make you want to lie on the couch and go to sleep. That means you're eating all the wrong foods, unfortunately, and too many of them. Well, that's interesting that you said that because I, I, about the pulse, I'm saying all of it's wonderful. But the pulse, I had no idea that it would raise... Um, or maintain itself when we eat. I don't even think about the pulse rate when I, when I eat. Yeah. So I've never heard that before. That's all new. So you, what you're saying is when you eat something, your pulse really shouldn't change. It shouldn't, no. So that's a, that's a great tool if someone has the time. I may try that to see how food affects them. I would really be interested to see the correlation between that and my sugar. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the you know, a link or the actual paperwork on, on how to do it to make sure you're doing it right as well. 
just be very fascinating to see how that, if there is a correlation between my perhaps blood um, pulse going up and my sugar going up. And if that's, mm-hmm. you know, if that's something that would work together. Very interesting. Now, <clears throat> when you say about how different foods uh, can affect you and make you tired, we all hear about turkey, which is a protein. And I know that sometimes I have fallen prey to this, not that often because I don't eat a ton, a ton of turkey or protein in a meal. But I have noticed that after eating a big turkey meal, people get tired. Do you think it's the turkey? Is it the fat? Is it the sugar? Is it just not eating in a healthy way? Or is this something to do with turkey itself? Well, I mean, you know, if if you have a lunch and you just have a little bit of turkey with um, some vegetables and a salad, you're not going to fall asleep. But usually, you know, when we have a big turkey meal, there's rolls and there's pastries and there's, um, you know, there's going to be gravy. But people eat, you know, a big portion of meat on, on those things, plus stuffing and all those other things. And so uh, I think it's a combination of everything. I don't think it's just the turkey. Because I know I could have, um, you know, I could have maybe some cut up turkey on a corn tortilla and it wouldn't bother me at all. Um, but if I ate a whole turkey meal, most definitely, you know, it's going to bother me. You're going to get tired. So, you know, the, you know, yeah. What about the gravy? So, so, so we are talking about well, fat. You know, I got again, a little off track. But what about gravy fat? Yeah. Is there a better so, is, is there better gravy that we could eat, or is it just gravy fat is or or gravies oh, are out of the equation? No, absolutely. I mean, you know, we we do say we'll do uh, pork shoulder, or we'll uh, do chicken, or you know, something in the oven, and we make gravy from the actual fat drippings, and so we'll use the fat drippings and maybe we'll add some beef broth or chicken broth, you know, depending on what we're cooking. Um, and we'll use cornstarch to, to thicken it up. And, you know, it, it's a wonderful gravy, but it's the drippings from the meat, you know, and again, I know you can get all complicated if you get into the omega three versus the omega six. And I mean, if you just eat in a way that's closest to the way they ate years and years and years ago, you'll be far better off. One of the problems we have is people try to micromanage things. And if you look at the, always look at the big picture first. Look at, so am I eating things that are deep fried on a daily basis? Okay, that's one thing to cut out. And then, uh, am I making gravy once a week from, from scratch? Well, that's okay. You know, that's, that's going to be a good fat that's going to hold you and, you know, sustain you, you know. So let me branch off to something else. Fats are really important, especially, uh, I have a lot of patients that they have, they'll wake up in the middle of the night and they can't go back to sleep. Many, many times that's a blood sugar issue. And so, their blood sugar will start to drop because of the high carbohydrate, low fat meal that they had at dinner, and the, the body wakes up and can't go back to sleep because that's a that's a big deal. If, if the blood sugar gets too low, they can go uh, go into a coma. And so, increasing the amount of good fat um, and uh, a little more protein and vegetables, and reducing your starch content at night 
many times will take care of people to wake up in the middle of the night and can't go back to sleep. That's why they want to eat something because their blood sugar is too low and they can go back to sleep. And so uh, having, uh, you know, a little bit of that homemade gravy. Now, I wouldn't recommend doing the gravy that you buy in the package. Um, you know, make it from the actual drippings and that's going to be okay. And it's funny because they really promote these um, gravies because they say low in fat. It comes in a package, right, add some water, and, you know, there you go. You have a low-fat gravy. But it's not necessarily good for you or doing what you think yeah, it's going to do overall for your health, your body, your weight. You know, absolutely. And people are always uh, taking the, the road of simplicity because people have a busy life nowadays, right? I mean, there's so many things going on. And just taking, just slowing down just a little bit. Um, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to make a meal from scratch. Uh, everybody, and you know, you have, first of all, you have to learn how to do it. But then, you know, second of all, you're really going to enjoy your food more. And it, the, the health benefits are going to be much greater if you make it from scratch, you know, as, as opposed to one of those canned gravies or packaged gravies that you were talking about, you know, earlier. It's, it's really important. So making your own food is key in a lot of circumstances and being organized about it really helps that effort. And we've talked about that in previous episodes where I've had people come on and talk about how we can organize ourselves to accomplish this. Even with our busy lifestyles, we can, you know, have more and more of this in, in our life by being organized around it. And even in our shopping and what we have at hand, going back to the fact it's in the preparation, the shopping, and keeping ourselves armed with good fats. Right. You know, you know, one of the examples is everybody, nobody doubts that if you eat fresh salmon, that those are good fats, right? No. Yeah, we hear about that all the time. Everybody, yeah. So, so why is that good fat different? You know, why is that fat different as opposed to the fat from butter? It comes from an animal, as long as it's, or, you know... If it's organic and it doesn't have anything added to it, um, it's 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 a natural food. And so, salmon is and fish are really really good fat choices. And it, but you know, again, if you can stay away from farm raised, it's going to be better. But you know, unfortunately, for some people, it's hard to get wild salmon. And so, you know, that's a good good fat choice. And is so that, does that mean that, farm, that. that farmed salmon is not good for you? I don't, wouldn't say that it's not good for you. It's not as good for you. I'm sure that there's studies being done. I haven't checked. We always try to eat, you know, wild fish as much as possible. Um, the problem is, is that the fisheries, you know, in the ocean are being so overfished that it's harder and harder to, to get those fish, you know, so they're actually farm raising some of these fish. And you have to look at, the, the, the diet that a wild salmon has as opposed to a farm-raised salmon, farm-raised salmon is going to eat pellets that are, that are thrown in there for them to eat on a daily basis. And so it's, it, it's not getting the assortment of all the other fish and things that, that a salmon has eaten over the course of its life. That's the difference. Well, it makes sense. They're not getting the same nutrients, so we aren't either. Right. And having said that, again, you pointed out something very important. 
fish versus butter. Why do we look at fish better than butter? And that goes in, they're both come from animals. Um, and it, I, I'm assuming it's a, the way the cow has also been raised when it comes to our butter. So we want to look at the source of our butter, obviously. So if we're looking yeah, at fish, I mean, wild versus farmed, are we looking at butter being uh, an animal that hasn't been given hormone, antibiotic, organic? Absolutely. Those would be an important factor on the quality of our butter. Exactly. And, you know, again, it's going to be a little more expensive. We always use organic butter just because it, it's available to us. Um, I would get raw butter if it was available to us. I don't, there might be a place that we can order it, but, um, raw is even going to be better. Um, you know, I, I know some people. And what does that mean? I, about, I, I'm sorry, well, I interrupted you. I just don't know what raw butter means. Oh, no. Well, they, they would pasteurize the milk prior to making it into butter. And so it, 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 some of the enzymes, um, present in raw milk go away when you pasteurize it. And that's how they can actually tell if milk's been pasteurized or not. And so, um, I think there's one enzyme in particular. I'm not too sure. But, uh, so by not pasteurizing it and making it into butter, it's going to have everything the way that it came out of the, the udder, as opposed to being pasteurized and heated to possibly kill any organisms, you know. But as I said in an earlier show, raw dairy farmers are held to a much higher standard than, than the average dairy farmer. And, and it adds no negative effect on the average dairy farmer. But it's extremely stringent control by environments as far as organism growth and things. And so I would rather have it the way that it came, again, closer to nature by not being depasteurized. But if somebody's un un uncomfortable with that, then, you know, by all means, do organic butter. As long as it's butter, it's still going to be a good choice. It's not a bad thing. It's just not quite as good as raw. And that's a big concern. I'm glad you brought that up because we have mentioned that in the past. We've talked about that, you know, pasteurize the fear of pasteurized versus raw. And it's, it is a fear, especially for parents. We, we hear of all these things that can happen if something isn't pasteurized. But, you know, then you look at raw and you wonder, yeah, there's health benefits, but what's the risk benefit between the two? So I'm glad you brought that up that the regulations are much stricter on raw product. I think that's important when making our choice that we we're aware of that. Now, with all these fats, and we've talked about it's important for blood sugars and to maintain them and hunger, and I guess that would go along with our cravings also in managing our weight and having successful eating plans. What would be a really simple um, rule to thumb to get started on this and started in getting comfortable in our awareness of picking out healthier fats? I'm, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question one more time? I didn't quite understand what you were asking. So there's, you know, it still can be overwhelming and making these choices in healthier fats. So we know fried food is not a good choice when it comes to fat. But what are some, you know, simple things that we can think about when choosing our fats and then incorporating them in our diet? Whether it's, you know, do we okay. keep it to vegetable oils, you know, butter. We've just talked about butter, which has been fantastic. Whether it's clarified butter or, or fee. I'm having it as an organic base, and of course, we don't want to overdo anything. 
But again, what are just some simple things to keep in mind when choosing fats and starting to add them into our diet while cutting out bad fats? Sure. So, you know, again, you it, so it's having the awareness around what you're putting in your mouth is important because honestly it, it does it doesn't do very much good to eat a lot of good fats when you're still ingesting a lot of bad fats. And so first you have to pull the bad fats out of the diet. So again, if you're having French fries every day or deep fried zucchini or you know whatever it is, deep fried something, um, that's something that you need to shift. And in in its place, again, use real butter. Um, every time I go to the store or to to a restaurant, um, I always ask the the waiter or waitress. I say, "Are you do you cook with real butter or margarine?" Because if they bring something out, say I'm going to have some potato, you know, you know, again, I don't have you know diabetes, so I don't have to worry about that aspect of it. You know, but if I'm going to have a little potato and they use, they have a margarine that they put on, I will have them bring pads of butter out and I'll use the, the, you know, the butter in, in the individual pads as opposed to what they put on it. Um, because I want to make sure I'm getting real butter. So if you go out to eat, ask those questions. Ask if they use real olive oil, um, are the, Stay away from canola oil and all the vegetable oils and those type of things. Um, and oh, the vegetable you, oils meaning that they're more refined. Yeah, I mean, you know, th- there's some sunflower oils and some some of those oils that are okay. But again, if you're using those in your home, that's going to be different than if you're going out to eat. Um, I, I, I believe I have a, an outline of specific oils and what their functions are good for. And if I can find that, I'll email it to you and then you can have that available for your listeners. That would be great. Um, Yeah, because, you know, again, make it simple. Uh, Stop eating uh, margarine and use butter. Uh, Stop using vegetable oils and use, you know, Olive oil is still a vegetable oil. You know, it's it's not a man-made. You know, it's it's not an animal product. Um, but use first cold press olive oil. If you can do organic, it's even better. But it's a lot more expensive, unfortunately. Um, there's a lot in California. We're fortunate. There's a lot of individual growers where we can go and get olive oil that's you know pressed that day or the next day. Um, and so, see if there's any of those in your area. That's also a possibility. Um, if you want to add specific oils for nutritional benefit, uh, flax oil is a really good one. However, if you're a male uh, with, with any prostate issues, I would stay away from that. Um, and you can, there's, uh, a, there's good sources of cod liver oil. Um, you know, everybody has a negative aspect of cod liver oil, especially if you're older now, back, you know, when you were a kid and having to eat it because it, it tasted pretty bad. But there's companies now that make good quality cod liver oils. But again, make sure that they're not refined. Um, a lot of companies will refine their cod liver oil and uh, do things to it that aren't really the way that it was in nature. Um, and so any of, any of those type of things, you know, are going to be good we're really fortunate now because at least we can research things on the internet. 
Now, it doesn't mean that everything you find on the Internet is going to be absolutely true, but if you read multiple articles about something and they come from authorities, maybe if they're coming from, uh, you know, people that are associated with nutritional practice, you know, Dr. McCullough has a lot of good information on oils. However, um, and again, this is nothing against Dr. McCullough, but he advocates krill oil. And uh, the krill oil that I've seen is really highly processed. I don't so know what kind watch. of oil that is. Do you know what krill is? It's it's what the whales eat, and you know the baleen whales eat in the ocean. They 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 filter all these little organisms out. Well, it, you know, anyways, um, it's it's it, it's a little ocean organism. You know, it's a little teeny animal, and so they they make this oil from it, and it's really popular in the states right now. But it's it can be really highly processed, and so I just stay away from it. Um, I get all my oil, most of my oils from the foods that I eat. And so, again, you're, unless you're under the care of a practitioner that can help guide you in the right direction of what oils to supplement with, I would recommend getting them from your diet because ultimately that's what we want to do anyways. I mean, my job as a practitioner is to find out where my patient is and determine what they need to do in order to get them where they want to go in their health. And so sometimes that's supplementing the specific types of oils. Um, sometimes it's just shifting their diet. As we've talked about many times, every patient is different, so everybody's going to have a personalized program specific to them. And so uh, it can be very confusing, as you stated before. So don't get overwhelmed. Find somebody that can help move you in that direction. Now, having said that, I recommend that you find somebody that is recommended to you by somebody that you used them before. Okay, I get all my patients, you know, with the exception of, you know, when I do talks and people want to get involved with me because of the things I've discussed, most of my referrals in my practice come from my patients that tell their friends and family and so forth. And so having that type of referral, then you'll know that the person's going to be doing the right thing. Um, and also make sure that the person that's doing and giving you that information is living the way that you, they expect you to live. Um, there's nothing more frustrating to a patient than a patient being told what to do by a doctor that doesn't follow their own recommendations. Um, that is frustrating. It's, yeah, it's very, very frustrating. And I, I actually did a whole interview about that, about doctors and their inability to follow recommendations that they give their patients. Um, I mean, ethically, I just think that's crazy to me. You know, I I follow every recommendation that I expect my patients to follow because I know it's the right thing to do. And that's what you need to find in, in, in somebody that's going to move you in the direction of health. Well, they walk the walk. They talk. They, they, yeah. they walk it. They talk it. They're living it. So really... Right. So it, I didn't want to get into more depth than that because then it gets too complicated. Is that okay? That's fine. It's really um, talking about fat has a bad rap and really we should be having it in our diet. Very bad. Absolutely. So keeping the the most my, important thing is I'm I'm hearing is the quality of oil that you're getting, mm-hmm. and that in itself 
is eliminating a lot of the bad oils right there. Sure. Is getting the raw, the sure. you know, the first pressed, um, and not having them ref uh, refined. That is key. Quality, looking at shelf life, all of that's going to help you weed out bad fat anyways. And looking at nuts mm -hmm. and coconut and things like that, even though on your uh, nutritional guide it might say higher fat, it's a good source of fat. And we really do need fat. We need fat to help us in our health and our blood sugars if you're living with diabetes. Or even if you're not living with diabetes, it's important to keep your blood sugars at a stable uh, rate. And the heart, I, I didn't realize that the heart was a fat-burning muscle. Yeah, I actually read a, I was starting to read a study. It was like 300 and 400 pages long, but I was reading a study that was done about the heart and they actually would have the people, uh, increase the amount of fat content that they would eat and it would enable the, the heart to beat stronger and, you know, even faster than it would under normal situations. And so, you know, but again, I don't know what kind of fat they were using. I don't know if that correlates with that, that pulse test I was telling you about. Maybe it was a fat that it wasn't very pure and, and healthy. And therefore the heart was having a negative reaction to it and it was beating faster. I have no idea. You know, I just didn't get that far into the article. Still very interesting. Yeah. The body's fascinating. And we have to treat it well, especially with the food that we're um, we're eating. Absolutely. Well, I have to thank you for joining me again today. This has been wonderful. And I think what I can really um, say is not all fat is bad. And key, uh, sorry, and the food is so key to helping us in our diets, whether we're suffering from diabetes or any other health conditions, food can really make a difference in our health. So, Very much so if anyone has any questions or stories they would like to share, where can they reach you, Art? Uh, they can reach me. Um, the best way to do is just to call. Uh, that's 559-475-8611. Or they can email me. They can actually go to my website, and they can e email me through my website if they choose to. And that is uh, www.conceptsforhealth. Dot com. That's concepts, C-O-N-C-E-P-T-S-F-O-R-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Um, and if that, you know, they can also email me if, if they choose not to go on my website at D-R-A-R-T, that's Dr. Art at conceptsforhealth.com. That's great. Once again, thank you. And always consult My your right. And always consult a health your health professional when changing a diet, making some changes. And if you have any questions that you would like, or, or topics you would like to discuss, or stories you would like to share, please email me at Anita at AnitaCoach.ca and follow me on Twitter at Anita Westlake.